I'm George Lavender, one of the producers of Making Contact. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We release a show about a different issue every week, but you can join the conversations happening right now on the Making Contact Facebook page and on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. Thanks a lot. Here's the show. Hello, 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 all you beautiful people. How are you doing? Yes, let me hear it. I'm Quan Booth, and this is Making Contact Social Justice Open Mic at the 2014 National Poetry Slam in Oakland, California. If every little thing that you did made a difference, would you do things a little different? This is Making Contact, a program that informs, inspires, and moves people to take action. you believe me if I told you you're the reason we are here would there be meaning to your breathing if your exhale made the air Yeah, I did sign up. Are you recording me right now? Oh. Hi, uh, I'm Chris. Uh, stage name is El Siete, and I'm representing the Santa Cruz Slam team. I'm number 20, I believe, so I'm excited to be a part of this in a non-competitive setting. It's between some hip-hop or just some old spoken word pieces that I have. Most of my stuff is like political social justice stuff, so I can pull anything from my catalog and it should be relevant. I want a light up some relief i want to set fire to the beast i want to dance in the streets like they've always been ours i want to flip over some police cars i want to ride with you tonight come on and put up a fight we gotta struggle for our love to live tonight uh The riots of the 21st century have been characterized as this violent time where the savages come to rise to cause death, destruction, and freedom's demise. But the truth is, we've only come to end this oppressive enterprise. The savages you've seen with the black, the brown, the white, the red, the yellow bodies fighting with their fangs out for the memories of the past that will promise their future to preserve the thoughts and orders whispered by these seas and trees of the very earth that cradle us a riot is not about knowing in any certain terms what to do with the fire of a hungry belly, but instead knowing injustice so long it can turn buckling knees back into the dust of creation. A riot is the human animal in a herd of strangers being stalked by wolves in pig's clothing whose names you can actually know because it's written on their chest for all to see. A riot is powerless people gathered in need of healing, taking their prayers to the streets, but you won't find anyone kneeling to any gods or masters who use human hammers to forge these worldly disasters as they pull puppet strings of news broadcasters who never speak sincerely about what really matters. A Riot is sincere citizens being strung along the spectrum of feeling from ecstasy to misery. Their shackles scraping, scraping, scraping against colonizer concrete. Their chains rattle in that familiar melody of that old Negro spiritual mutiny on the high seas. A riot is irrational as the subjects of subjugation have been stripped of their ancient reason, made to run faster and faster and faster just to stay 
stay in the same place and then they are told that the advent of the wheel is their reward. Well, some of us can't speak with strangled throats and some of us vomit words over other stories and some of us speak with forked tongues and all of us have been taught not to listen to each other, but that's not something we can't fix. We just need patience, understanding in a process, but there's no time to sit down, dialogue, and talk about the choices you've been given or what type of cage or closet you've been forced to live in a riot is the slave master trying to take your leg as you and your team run the relay of revolution. Slave masters crack whips, advance paces. They commit war crimes, violently occupying peacefully liberated spaces, firing at field medics trying to uplift someone higher than themselves while they, in the name of justice, police us and others around the world for our frustration. They don't seem to understand that we are human beings carrying more than just families on our back, being attacked by animals on horseback, carrying clubs and is made in factories smoke stacks or more like a smoking gun to match all the times Mother Earth has taken a bullet from us or to match all the times the police have taken someone from us. I'm sorry, Unky Sam, but your nieces and your nephews are revolting and they're talking to your sons and daughters and many of us have decided that we're not going to put up with your ish anymore. A riot is not a riot, but an uprising, a rebellion. Thank you. So I performed a piece that I have creatively titled Riot. Uh, a big part of the attention around my piece is reframing how we understand riots because a lot of the time it's um, understood to be these rowdy um, people in the streets, but the reality is that a riot doesn't become a riot until the police show up. So I think the power of poetry is the ability to break silence. I think that as people who are oppressed, whether you occupy the body of a person of color or a woman or a woman of color or any other body that has experienced this history of oppression and dispossession, I think the fact that you stand in your body and are able to articulate words in your experiences is a very powerful and very political and revolutionary act. And so I think anytime anyone is choosing to speak against the dominant narratives that exist that we're engaging in a part of the revolution that is emotional that is on a more abstract level and that is communicated through words and so i think that poetry is one of the greatest tools of the of poor people and of the oppressed against the, that which oppresses them because it's it's a very powerful and courageous thing to show up and go to the mic and then speak something that may that people may not agree with one of the poems that really stuck out to me was this poem about um, Gaza, which is actually uh, performed by this white male poet, and it had a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of parallels or a lot of uh, contrasting imagery around what it means to be a privileged person living in the United States and still having some sort of politics or opinion on the state of the world and what's happening in the world. The next poet to come spit fire is Jared Paul. It's called Apartheid Then and Apartheid Now in five parts. Uh, I want to definitely dedicate it to everybody who marched in D.C. last week and the people who have been uh, standing in solidarity with Gaza around the country and around the world and all the folks in Gaza and Palestine right now. One, <clears throat> at first, racist and establishment liberals called Martin Luther King 
a dangerous man. It took so long to prove that Jim Crow was the opposite of equality. Today, with the internet and decades of accumulated knowledge, why is it so hard to see that we cannot solve crime without first solving poverty? That having the largest prison population on the planet, 80% of whom are people of color, is the new plantation system. There are thousands and thousands of people in prison right now for victimless crimes, for infractions, almost no white person would ever be charged for. There are activists of color right now doing time for the same direct actions that I take part in regularly. Slavery didn't end, it just got repackaged. Two, at first, South Africa's ruling elite and its white middle class called Nelson Mandela a dangerous man, deemed the African National Congress a terrorist organization, as did their US counterparts. It took so long for the world to take an honest look, to acknowledge the brutality, to call apartheid for what it was, an intentionally racist system which denied people of their rights and freedoms based solely on culture and the color of their skin. Three, apartheid is happening today in Gaza. As the Israeli government and Zionist elite lay siege to 1.8 million Palestinians trapped in the world's largest open-air penitentiary. Apartheid is happening in the West Bank as Zionist settlers build on Palestinian land with the support of their government and mine. They speak proudly into the camera. Palestine never existed. God gave us this land. It says so in the Bible. There are many Arab nations, but this is Jewish land. It is Palestinians who must leave. Jewish-only roads connect illegal Zionist settlements, cutting Palestinian towns off from one another, literally segregating the land. Separate laws, separate water, separate schools, separate hospitals, separate rights. Four. This time, the world sees 138 out of 193 UN member states recognize the pre-1967 borders of the West Bank and Gaza as sovereign, as the sovereign nation of Palestine. But if the US and Israeli governments have their way, 30 years from now, Palestine will be reduced to a few low-income neighborhoods dwindling within the singular state of Israel. My government is sponsoring genocide, and I do not know how to stop them. Five. In the last four weeks, 1,850 Palestinians have been killed by the Israeli Defense Force. Over 10,000 people severely wounded, 500,000 or more have lost their homes. By contrast, 60 Israeli soldiers have been killed while invading Gaza, as have three civilians, one of whom was bringing supplies to an Israeli missile station. I don't want anybody to die. But this is not a war, it's a massacre. Bombing residential neighborhoods, hospitals, mosques, and schools is a war crime, whether insurgents are there or not. If I were a Palestinian writer living in Gaza instead of a white male writer living in America, I might already be dead. 
If I were a black, Latino, or any social justice organizer, or citizen, or person of color living in South Providence, South Chicago, South Central, East St. Louis, Detroit, Oakland, Baltimore, New Orleans, Birmingham, or anywhere else in the prison state of my country, instead of a white male organizer living in an arts collective downtown, I might also already be dead. What a shameful privilege to sleep beneath the dragon's wing. Born into citizenship and the empire's approved pigments, like winning a lottery ticket, I never had to enter. Stuffed full of ballots with my name on them. What a sickening luxury, paying taxes to brutal colonialist superpowers instead of being their target. Free Palestine, long live Gaza, end the occupation, free all political prisoners at home and abroad. It is time to call apartheid for what it is wherever we find it. Thank you. Free, free Palestine! Please listen carefully. You're listening to a special edition of Making Contact, recorded in front of a live audience at the National Poetry Slam in Oakland, California. I'm Quan Booth, and you can listen to Making Contact at www.radioproject.org. Lindsay Stone, Ann Arbor, Michigan is where I'm from. It's a piece, it's called Trigger Warning. What's interesting is when I first started writing the piece, it wasn't really going to, originally going to have a trigger warning, it wasn't going to be titled Trigger Warning. And when I was, it started off with the story of my friend, who is also trans, <laughs> and um, because it is someone else's personal story, I feel like every time I step to the mic, I have to present this piece 100% because I feel like if I give it anything less than that, I'm doing injustice to my friend who the poem starts off with. And I don't think that's fair. So there's a community of activists that are second wave feminists. And as someone who now lives in Michigan and is highly aware of the Michigan Women's Festival's policy of woman born woman, this goes out to them. So. Trigger warning. This poem contains graphic content dealing with violence, rape, and child sex abuse. If my chosen sister would have heard these words, she would have had to leave the room. You see, if you follow the spine through the small of her back, you will find the scar of a broken tailbone. A scar that 25 years later sits like restroom graffiti scribbled across piss-stained stalls. It reads, he was here. When I tell you that she was raped, split open, left bleeding to die in a ditch, please don't confuse this as a metaphor. At the age of nine, making wishes on stars, the world still knew her as Mel. He tried to fuck the girl out of her. He said, if you want to be a woman, 
you have to learn to bleed like one. As she's telling me her story, I can't help but to think of second wave feminist Dr. Janice G. Raymond. A second wave feminist who once said, I contend that the problem with transsexualism would best be served by morally mandating it out of existence. Janice, you must be proud because my sister's rapist was only following your directions. In your pursuit of safe spaces through the exclusion of trans women, you have helped perpetuate the hunting grounds. You claim safe spaces to protect women from male privilege while excluding a whole community of women whose lives tend to be disposable. Trigger warning, stabbed to death. Trigger warning, slit throat. Trigger warning, her body was found near an interstate in Detroit, decapitated and burned. Her mother, could only identify her by her torso. These are not benefits of male privilege. 2,563 less trans women to worry about invading woman-born woman spaces. Janice, you must feel like you won the lottery. Janice, there are no real numbers here. No one is counting. My sister's forgotten ghosts. A survey conducted in 1998 revealed that 50% of transgender and intersex people have been the victims of rape and assault. For many of us, our lives are nothing but trigger warnings. Janice, we not, may not have periods, but we're well aware that there's many out there willing to make us bleed. My trans identity is part of my history. It's part of who I am, but that doesn't make me less of a woman. It doesn't change the fact that these are the things I face on a daily basis. You know, I still have to be cautious. Matter of fact, just a couple of days ago, I, it was late night, I was hungry, I wanted to eat, but I, and we couldn't, there was only a place several blocks away to try to walk to. Used to, before transition, I would walk there by myself and not give it to, you know, a second thought. I knew I needed somebody to walk with me, you know, because I'm in a city that I don't fully know. And I'm sitting here wearing a dress. And, you know, we have the same fears. We face so many of the same struggles. And... To discredit that is just not right. I already realize that if this piece becomes popular and they catch wind of it, I'm going to be attacked. It happens time and time again. But I don't care because I want this to stop, this exposure to stop. And, you know, I would love to see some kind of dialogue happen doing this piece. I don't expect to change someone's mind who's already set in their ways. But I do hope that if there's someone who could potentially be influenced by these people who have heard this piece, they are able to think about what they just what they heard, if we're lucky, if we can just keep it from breeding, that mentality from breeding. Making contact. Making contact. Making, making, making contact. Making contact.
All right, can I have Caitlin Clark up to the mic? Okay, hi. Um, I'm Caitlin Clark. I'm from the Bay Area. I'm 14 years old, and uh, <laughs> um, I'm sorry if this poem is like super loud and like yelly and angry. But I wrote, I <laughs> I wrote this. Um, <laughs> I wrote this poem um, right after I heard about the UCSB shooting, and so angry and loud and yelly was the only thing that I could be. So. I ride the subway with my legs crossed and think of all of the ways that I can make myself disappear. I have been taught to grow into myself, that I have always been too much or never enough. Apologies have bitten at my words for every time that I choose to wear anything less or more than asking for it. I have caught myself pulling down the hem of my skirt more times than I have spoken with confidence. There are things that women do in order to survive. We are being hunted and made into battered mountains of flesh stowed away in college campuses and behind bedroom doors. Newscasts have started to sound like witch hunts. In the 17th century, women were accused of casting spells upon members of Puritan colonies. They were tortured for not fulfilling the expectations they were crowned with since conception. So let me bewitch, burn me at the stake, watch my ashes rise from the ground and carry the idea of me like a lantern. Let me be a wicked woman. Let me claw the male entitlement out of your diaphragm. Let me dismember every part of this patriarchy. You can nail me to your crosses. You can let flames lick my body. You can scald my flesh, but you can never hate this fire out of me. I will not fault myself for every time that I am afraid of showing my legs. Femininity is as powerful as sorcery. Our bodies strung from white picket fences like Salem. Men's eyes sear holes into my skin like having every inch of you melted off just to see if there was really anything underneath. Bitch rings like witch in my ears. Cat calls synonymous with death sentences. These streets are no safer today for a wicked woman than they were 400 years ago. There is sorcery burning underneath my flesh like fires of 1692. But women know that our fight for survival sometimes means less alchemy and illusion and more of making bomb shelters out of our skin. Powerful women. Women do not always need to prove it. We perform disappearing acts on the train home. We hold our breath when we are approached by strangers. Sometimes wicked women need to cloak our magic to keep from being burned alive. Hi, um, I'm Caitlin Clark. I'm 14 years old and I'm from the Bay Area, California. So I wrote that poem 
a few months ago after I heard the news about the UC Santa Barbara shooting. And um, I just wrote the poem keeping in mind all of the things that women go through daily and also more of the extreme things that we see on the news and the wide spectrum between that and kind of um, seeing the comparison between the brutal things that women have to do to survive every day. I kind of discovered poetry, specifically like spoken word poetry this year, and I started writing um, about three months ago. So poetry has had like an incredible impact on my life, and I think it has the power to change a lot of things and open a conversation about some things that we are afraid of talking about in daily life. I mean, it's like uplifting to share my work with people, but then it's also very exhausting. Making contact. Queen T. Is Queen T here? good. He's 22. And sometimes it's hard to tell if his smile rings of joy or trying to cope with those postpartum black boy blues. The kind of pain that no other being could ever understand, let alone be strong enough to stand in his shoes that would walk down aisles, travel miles of this earth that you never witnessed, or go to homes where welcome mats never existed. He's seen some things, baby. And that night they said he had a gun, but there was no gun in sight. Yet they still reached for the clip quick like Friday night lights sometimes. Death ain't a choice. Sometimes the decision is made when real eyes are too colorblind and not fixed with enough grayscale to realize that freedom comes at a price. But even the Trinity couldn't bleed enough to anoint this pain. I'm so tired of these deaths in vain. He wanted to die for his freedom, but instead he was slain. See, the cops gon' pull up, click, clack, and aim. So boy, you better run when you see those flashing lights. Cause see, Latasha Harlins didn't make it that night. Bullet to the back of the head, she only cried cause she was scared like Abner. Beaten until they saw red, his rectum was torn to shreds and all his family got was a letter that read, I'm sorry. But at least the officer got some time in jail, yet the crusade had just begun. I know you remember Sean Bell, yes. He would have made a great husband and I'm sorry that our nation is a product of injustice, Kimani. Didn't know it was his glory day. The bullet grazed his spine, completely piercing through his soul. He was standing on his feet one second, then the next out cold, malice green. Yeah, he tried to be bold, but the police batons weighed like cracking skyscrapers over his head. Left laying in the puddle from which he bled, not to mention the blood that Emmett shed. Grant, Diallo, Martin, Davis, Stansberry, Lance, and Ronald Madison. Don't forget about Anderson, have you ever? Witness the weary presence of chalk outlines designed on the very streets that you want to walk with every beat of your consciousness to survive your journey past the corner store. 
Ever hear the taunting echoes of black letters on yellow tape wrapped around the very gates that were supposed to protect the place you once called home? Have you ever cried alone? And of course, I know men don't intend to become murderers, but, but mothers don't intend for their hearts to be broken. So shook and silent screams can only stutter because they can't breathe when their sons grow up to be murdered. There's a war going on out there and it keeps on storming. Ever experience the pain of a black mother mourning or feel teardrops from open caskets on Sunday mornings? It hurts. But I know that over time, wounds sever and hands create clenched fists with the absence of being remiss, only to fight for those who understand what heartache is. So please, do not weep for my tragedies, because forgiveness is the greatest revenge. I'm Queen C from Columbia, South Carolina. And that's it for this edition of Making Contact. To find out more about Making Contact, visit us at radioproject.org. That's where you can also download past shows and make a difference by supporting our work. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. I'm Quan Booth. And Aquila Lewis. And thank you so much for attending the Making Contact Social Justice Poetry Slam at the 2014 National Poetry Slam. 